well, what are we helping them aspire to? And for a lot of boys, they feel disenfranchised. And whether that is a fair or unfair or whether that's true or not, that is how they feel. Yeah. It's why I have to spend a good 15 minutes at every school where I'm engaged with boys to dispel those myths that I'm there to condemn them for the sake of being boys, that I don't care about them. I have to spend so much time before I can even get started in my presentation to hopefully assure them that I am there because I care for them, that I'm recognizing their challenges and that I want good for them. Welcome to this week's episode of Living Fullness. As you'll notice, I am without a co-host today, but I am not without our monthly guest. And in today's episode, I would love to introduce to you Daniel Princip. Daniel is Collective Shouts youth advocate and educator. He has a background in PR, marketing, media, and was a health professional and advisor for a non-for-profit. Daniel challenges toxic messages about masculinity in mainstream culture, which he critiques through a porn critical lens. He helps young men to see how these cultural forces fuel distorted ideas and attitudes about bodies, relationships, and sexuality. He works with young men to reimagine masculinity and embody a vision of manhood defined by virtue. He also hosts the Collective Shouts podcast, Reimagining Masculinity, and you'll regularly see him on TV and radio programs. So Daniel Prinship, Welcome to the Living Fullness Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Stina. It's great to be here. I'm so excited for the conversation that we're about to have. Now tell us, where are you actually dialing in from today? Sydney. Yeah, back in Sydney. Just came back from a couple of weeks in the US and then Perth later this week. So yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. Lots of traveling then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a real privilege for the work to be able to travel around and see lots of uh, people of goodwill all across Australia. And now I can say internationally too. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Well done to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I guess maybe to start with Daniel, maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, who is Daniel? What is, what does the life of Daniel look like? You know, where where is sort of a good place to start? Sure. Well, the simplest way is my title is obviously Youth Advocate and Educator uh, with Collective Shout. So for those that don't know, Collective Shout is a, is a campaigning movement against exploitation where we really try to advocate for the rights and well-being of women and girls against what we call a sexualized, a pornified culture. And so we do that through campaigning, through advocacy and through education. I spend a lot of my time and efforts doing the education, engaging in schools, mm. uh, religious groups, chaplains, psychologists, health professionals, communities, having conversations about the harms of pornography and sexualization, as well as advocacy politically, uh, campaigning, finding other like-minded not-for-profits who obviously care about these issues and people of goodwill anywhere. And then the other side that our team does is campaigning. So campaigning against corporations, advertisers, marketers, government, whoever who is using women and girls to sell products, sexualized, objectified betrayals of women and girls to sell products. And we've been super successful in that space of holding massive corporations from Alibaba to account, having ongoing campaigns about against, say, uh, Honeybird, as well as pulling down lots and lots of, sorry to say this, sellers of child abuse replica dolls. And so that's been something a couple of my colleagues have been absolutely unrelenting in their campaigning against on Instagram and Twitter and getting these platforms to take down these these dolls, these lifelike replica dolls of children. Mm. Which is really quite horrific, like even hearing hearing that being said out loud, like it's quite horrific to imagine that that's even where we're at 
It's pretty jarring. I don't always go out on it, but it's incredible when I do and see what even kind of ladsy guys that I've either gone to school with or have met along the way, they're absolutely disgusted by it, which I find refreshing because sometimes in a, yeah. in a sad way, we become desensitized. And I know my colleagues stare into mm. the abyss on this stuff. Is like it's so easy to become desensitized because you're there. And then it's actually quite helpful when some ladsy bloke that you play footy with is, you know, <laughs> having a rant to you privately about how disgusting they found that to be. Uh, it's it's kind of helpful and a reminder that these things are desperately unpleasant. I mean, that's not even a, yeah, they're horrific, right? And it's just out of sight, mm. out of mind for a lot of people. And yet it's it's becoming increasingly normalized. And so, yeah, uh, my colleagues at, at Collective Shout do incredible work. If anybody's listening, please go check out. There are current campaigns running right now that you can actually support. Not everyone's going to be on the front lines, but you can support, you can share, you can retweet. So please, I encourage you to yeah join in on those campaigns. We need you. 100%, 100% in any way. Everybody has their own capacity that they can contribute. Mm-hmm. So for the guys that are on the front line, you know, this is where the skills and the talents are being poured. And for those of us who are unable to, finding other ways to be able to provide that support is mm-hmm. definitely something that, you know, we can all consider in whatever absolutely. ways is suitable for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess maybe then tell us, Daniel, where does your passion point fit? Like how, what, like what's your role and how have you ended up in this role then? Sure. I think like many of us, we bring our own personal stories, our narratives, uh, I guess what we've experienced in life and perhaps what those that we love around us have experienced as well. And so for me, it's been a a long, steady journey towards um, wanting to do something about these issues. I think for me, uh, I was exposed to pornography when I was 10, 11 years old. That started to shape how I saw men, women, girls, sex, intimacy, love, respect, violence, all of these very, very significant realities that we have to navigate as people. Uh, And that's part of my journey until I heard a message similar to now what I deliver uh, in schools when I was about 20, 21, which helped me uh, fully go, no, I don't want this to be a part of my life. I don't want to be a patron of the global sex industry, the porn industry. I don't want to be a patron of the trafficking and exploitation that sustains uh, this industry. And so that was my journey in parallel to that. uh, I know that a lot of people that I have loved and cared about, family, friends, previous relationships, people have experienced sexual assault, sexual abuse. And that was just something that was never too far away. Predominantly, I've heard that from women, but I've also heard it from grown men as well. And they've been some of the hardest conversations I've sat through in life is listening to people you know, express what has happened to them and and how they've um, survived and and forged a life forward from that. And so, yeah, that has always stuck with me. And I feel kind of a duty to honor them and their stories in the best way I can as led by them in, in these issues to try and, yeah, try and push back on the normalization of the sexualization of children. And so that's Mm -hmm. a part of it. And then I think, yeah, in terms of like, you know, right now estimates 42 million people in sexual slavery around the world. I mean, this is one of the biggest injustices of our world that just frankly doesn't get enough attention, certainly not in Australia, certainly not in Australia. I've just come back from two weeks in the US and I was blown away by how much attention. I mean, it's obviously a bigger scale. I know I'm in those circles, but it was extraordinary that I wasn't the only one talking about these issues everywhere I went. And there seemed to be more of an awareness of how significant this issue is. And so I think for me, it's just something that, 
demands so much of a response from us uh, as a society. And so, yeah, and in parallel to that, trying to use what I've studied, my undergrads, health professional, my postgrads, media and PR, I worked as an advisor in politics and in health. I'm very fascinated with how media shapes attitudes and therefore behavior. I studied mm. propaganda as part of my postgraduate. And I guess I look at pornography and sexualized media as the most powerful form of propaganda we've ever served up uh, to civilization. And we're now seeing the significant harms and social consequences of that. Mm. Something you said there, which I think is really interesting, even just the comparison between here and the States as well. Do you find and look, maybe I'm just not in the same circles as you, so perhaps there's a difference there too. But do you find that in Australia, even the the dialogue around this space, there isn't as much of a challenge or a noise for the challenge as there is in the States? Like it's not it's not even a a point of contention in Australia because there's still so much overexposure in the media that we're not even seeing it as a problem yet. I agree with that. I think we've steadily become desensitized to the sexualization of children. Pleasingly, there's been some public and cultural pushback of late that we've seen and people getting quite yeah, demonstrative about that, but still not enough. And I think just the normalization of what yeah. is now labeled sex work as well makes people kind of muddy the waters in terms of the harms and how 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 much that actually impacts people and the harms of that industry. And so, mm. yeah, there, there, there seems to be a, a lack of a recognition of that in Australia. Uh, and especially just as a statistic, we are the third highest consumers of child abuse material coming out of Southeast oh, Asia. Man, that is shocking. Like it really alarming, is. alarming so, statistics. So that's what our Australian Federal Police and other agencies focus a lot on is how much of that mm. is actually going on here. Live streamed abuse. Obviously, our colleagues and partners at International Justice Mission, they've been campaigning against this as well. And so, yeah, this is this is a horrific oh. injustice. It's a harm that needs needs serious yeah justice to be done here in mm. australia but it's not just the punishment it's how have we how have we created such a demand for that why is there a rising desire for the abuse of children here in australia mm. Mm. i guess one of the things that i was hoping to be able to do in this interview with you daniel is to be able to help us have a dialogue around masculinity um mm -hmm. and i guess being that that is something that you actually do directly, you actually do speak to young men directly and about what masculinity could look like. Maybe mm -hmm. if we could open up, what do you think are some of the challenges that are facing young men today? And maybe we can start to pull apart. Is there such a thing as authentic masculinity? And, and what, what even is that? Sure. Yeah. In terms of the challenges for young men, I think we've always had faced similar things. It's just within a social media sexualized age, I think they mm. are just amplified. So boys have always had insecurities. Boys have always tried to work out how to become a man. That invitation's always been open. But for most of human history, there's been rites of passages. Most cultures throughout the world have had pretty similar themes within their rites of passage where a boy would enter into manhood by achieving, doing certain things, accomplishing certain things, improving not only to his community, but also to himself that he was in fact a man and displaying certain traits that 
was that was recognized. Some of that is great. Some of it I would disagree with now in hindsight as to what, how we could expand that to have a more uh, fulsome view of masculinity around, say, virtues, which is where I would anchor masculinity. But that's always existed. There's always been pressures and limitations around that. But there has always been some sort of passage. Now for boys, mm. all there is is sex, drinking, gambling, risk-taking behavior because there is no adventure. There is no journey for them to go on. There is no war for them to fight or a wild animal for them to slay. And so where do you channel that? And so that is the biggest question I think we're asking ourselves now as a society that is very much neutralized a lot of those outlets and for good reason too. I'm not saying we need to go back to sending 13, 14-year-old boys into the wild to hunt an animal, but, but where can we channel their energy? Where can we channel their desires for self-mastery and to accomplish things in the world? And irrespective of what their particular desires or interests are, whether that was musical, whether that was literature, whether that was athletic or, or academic, what would it look like to harness that and, and help a young boy challenge himself and overcome things within himself? And so devoid of all of that, you now have a, a landscape where pornography exposure is increasingly more normalized at higher and higher rates. And then you also have the rise of these extraordinarily toxic influences that are filling that gap where boys perhaps are looking to, and I'm not going to mention them, looking to these voices to fill in the gap of what it is to be a man. And all of them center on dominance, on controlling women, on having sex, lots of sexual partners. It, it reinforces a lot of the really ugly stereotypes and, and for me is devoid of virtue. And so boys have got all of this noise now with the rise of voices saying that boys need to be more gentle, more kind, more respectful, more decent, and, and rightly so. And some of those voices do a great job of that. Some of them do a really poor job of that. And so boys are sitting here in this dynamic of, well, I've got these voices telling me to be dominating, to be controlling, mm to be aggressive, to be all these things. And then other voices saying, well, can you be kind? Can you be compassionate? And it's like they're sitting here in the middle of all of this trying to work out what's what, like which, which way to go. And there's, there's more competing ideas than that. And so I think I feel for young boys. I had a Nokia 3310 when I was going through high school. These boys have got a smartphone and everything that that entails. And so when people say things to me like boys aren't acting respectfully, boys aren't acting with decency, well, first of all, it's not all boys. And, and secondly, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised. I don't know why anyone would be shocked when for the average boy, they're being exposed to hardcore violent pornography, they're navigating toxic online influences, then there's the social shaming where they're bullying yeah. one another to be kind of the most degrading, most obscene version of themselves. I call it like performative toxicity because it's not truly who right. they are it's a show mm. and so you put that melting pot together i'm shocked if i see a decent young man who can hold true to his values <laughs> and not conform to that like that's the miracle for me because i see how hard it is and these boys tell me how hard it is the good boys are shamed mm. they're called all sorts of slurs and they're shamed for showing basic decency now i'm not saying that we should celebrate these boys and build icons you know dedicated to them but if we don't actually rally around those boys and incentivize their kind of model of masculinity right. that is both courageous and kind, that is both empathetic and caring, like if we can't carry all of that, that shows a strength in, in their display of values, we're going to lose a generation of boys. Yeah.
Yeah, 100%. Gosh, there was so much in there, Daniel. <laughs> so much. On the, on the one hand, there's so I'm hearing you say that this is conversations that you have every day with these young men when you encounter them. So this is very much in the here and now, but also that pressure that you're talking about too. There's an expectation that's being built socially with it perhaps within their school environments. There's face, you know, there, there's friendship circles or which is only being further exacerbated through the media. So it's yep. all like subculture that's, that's happening right. here. What, like, you're absolutely right. Right? Why are we so surprised to see the yep. worst coming out? That's right. And then kind of berating that just further is reinforcing this idea that the world's against boys. Now, I think there yeah. are serious things that need to be challenged, critiqued, you know, uh, to be acknowledged for there to be accountability. 100%. That's exactly part of mm. what Collective Shout, what we do in schools, right? And we try and bring this, but more from an educational and awareness piece, mm. you know, and saying, hey, this is not uh, ideal for you, for your relationships. You could be so much more than this. So, but there has to be that. But then there also needs to be a sense of, well, what are we helping them aspire to? And for a lot of boys, they feel disenfranchised. And whether that is a fair or unfair or whether that's true or not, that is how they feel. Yeah. It's why I have to spend a good 15 minutes at every school where I'm engaged with boys to dispel those myths that I'm there to condemn them for the sake of being boys, that I don't care about them. I have to spend so much time before I can even get started in my presentation to hopefully assure them that I am there because I care for them, that I'm recognizing their challenges and that I want good for them and that I'm yeah. going to champion them more loudly than anyone to, to be that. Mm. So it's mm. hard because they're is this environment and again perceived or not that's that's the cards that i'm being dealt with in every school so whether we think they shouldn't or shouldn't feel that way well besides the point they a lot of them do feel disenfranchised and they are almost testing the adults in the room to see like if of i play course. up will you still stick around will you actually recoil will you just you know play into this narrative that we're all bad young men and so I try not to take the bait if that ever happens. Pleasingly, it doesn't. And pleasingly for, for your listeners, and people need to hear this, is like I get to see the very best of young men. Yeah. Because when I enter into there and I set the stage, I say to them, boys, I'm going to champion you guys today. I'm going to give you every opportunity to be your best selves. I'm going to welcome you, bringing your courage, bringing your empathy, bringing your insights, your care for one another, your care for women and girls. Like, bring that to the table. I don't care what you've done up until this moment. This is a clean slate. Bring your best selves. And I, and I routinely get to see, I get to see boys caring for one another, checking in on one another, putting a shoulder on, a, you know, hand on another boy's shoulder if they're upset or emotional because they themselves have been bullied because some of these messages that we're unpacking have really harmed them like they have me and, and, and all men about not being man enough, being tough enough, boys don't cry, don't be a girl, don't be a wuss and far worse things that I won't, mm, I won't say mm, on your podcast. Mm, sure. And so there needs to be a space where boys can feel this stuff and they can go, hang mm. on a minute, yeah, that's, that's actually not serving me and it's not serving us as young men if we want to mm. be these virtuous young men who have integrity. And so we have to mm. kind of create that. I feel like we're going to bulldoze all the social cultural baggage that's already in the room and then try and start and build upwards from that. Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, when you walk into a group like that, 
who are being shamed by society, who are being put down at every turn, who are being told everything about them is unwanted and undesired. No wonder the defences are up. Like we can't expect anything else. That that should be the natural response at a form when you're being attacked is to have totally. your defences up. And it's also what makes them ripe and easy prey for any kind of one of these toxic voices to like say to them, well, I'm going to help you, I'm going to guide you, you know, I'm going to help you stick a defiant finger up against the world who's not for you. I'm in a chance and you help you win in these scenarios like that's a very tempting situation if you're not feeling like things are going your way and so yeah we have huge work as a society to help yeah engage Mm. our young boys to help them be their best selves and hopefully give them a vision of masculinity like i said around Mm. virtue and that for me is Mm. why i reject a lot of these toxic influences are purely based on i reckon self-control based on their limited slash devoid visions of love you know and one of the sad things that i have found is in my workshops with the boys is love is one of the last things that comes out after much cajoling in terms of the attributes that a good man or a healthy man would embody wow yeah it's really fascinating wow. so we'll put lots of great words up on the board yeah. so caring serving looks after children helps out around the home like we'll, we'll really you know courageous stands up for women and girls stands up for his men. we'll put so much mm. up and then i'll sit there and i reckon this has happened dozens of times and the word love never comes out and i'm always fascinated if they've thought that but then just been too afraid to say it because you know love is such a like oh a man wouldn't use that word if there's again mm. baggage around that but i find that really fascinating and and i think for me when we when we can point to virtues as the measure of what is a good man and a good human frankly then we can then start to weigh well how do these other voices do they actually line up to that some of these voices boast about exploiting other men bankrupting other men mm-hmm. for their programs i mean is that what a good man does is that really a, <laughs> is that really being a good brother and friend and helping mm-hmm. and championing other men and so trying to help boys navigate through these voices and try and work out well what does it look like for them to show up as their best and healthiest selves is is a real task mm. so i guess let's go there then what what does the 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 reimagining in terms of virtue actually look like like what does what does that look like in terms of the workshop but also what does that look like for participants who aren't in the workshop and might be listening to this podcast or someone who might get shared this podcast you know what what does that even look like yeah it conjures up all sorts of thoughts so some people think for me it's yeah i think that it's me trying to dissolve everything old and it's certainly not the case and it's also not saying that everything old is great it's actually to say that there are some timeless virtues that we should hold on to and what does it look like to reimagine rethink or reapply them in this current cultural moment like that's that's what it is it's it's Mm. to say that you know if you start using words like temperance and prudence right now i'm not sure if that's going to resonate with the average person on the Mm -hmm. street Mm -hmm. but you know what does it look like to say self-control or self-mastery or courage what does it look like to make smart decisions Mm. you know Mm. and so it's like how do we translate it for this current culture so it's not to reject it it's very much to bring it into this moment but to say well what what resonates how do we translate that in a way that's that is accessible you know what what does faith hope and love look like for for all people irrespective of you know of whatever their spiritual or faith beliefs may be and yeah what does love look like not the hollywood version of love you know uh, but actual true love what what does that mean Mm. how do we how can we talk about that and one of the things that i use is i uh it's 
probably Mumford and Sons paraphrasing Thomas Aquinas, but in Mumford and Sons' song Delta, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, Marcus asks the question, does your love prefer the other or does your love just make you feel good? Now, I quoted mm. that to a, to a school here in New South Wales and the kids had never heard of Mumford and Sons, which made me feel extraordinarily <laughs> <Yeah>. old. But <laughs> I was like, that's that's the question we got to ask. Like, does your love prefer the other? Is it interested in seeking another person's good in them flourishing and them thriving or is it all just about you? And is it selfish in yeah. which case it's not really love? And so I think there's a huge task as well on each one of those virtues to even say, well, what do we mean by this? And also, what don't we mean by this? You know, mm. and love isn't some fluffy thing, you know, and courage isn't just about are you courageous on a sporting field or, you know, we're about to celebrate Anzac Day, which is a wonderful thing. And we should acknowledge the courage of people who have fought so much for our freedoms and the incredible, you know, quality of life that we have now. However, it's not limited to that. And an area that I see men really struggling to be courageous is in their convictions, in actually modeling love in terms of really fighting for things when it comes to interpersonal relationships, in terms of mm. being the first. And so for me, like I'm like, yeah, great, be courageous on a footy field, but like, can you also be courageous and sticking up for your mate that's being bullied or that strange girl at a party that's being harassed? or when you and another guy get an opportunity to talk and he opens up to you can you be courageous if he tells you that he's struggling and actually care for the guy rather than throw him under the bus and maybe you could open up to him and say that maybe you've struggled too because we all have in different ways and so for me again like courage great what does that mean how can we expand on that to not to not just be such a limited vision of that and so, yeah, I, I see a lot of men who really do struggle to be courageous when it comes to, yeah, emotional maturity and actually, yeah, in their both romantic relationships and in their friendships, showing up fully wholeheartedly. And, and I think, yeah, like that's a, that's a huge area. Again, that what does it mean to reimagine that, to, to think about that and its implications in all of our relationships? Mm, mm. I mean, if I was to try and summarize some of what you've said there in terms of virtue, you're really talking about the core of virtue being love. Like all the virtues, the core of it is love. And that's unchanging mm -hmm. throughout all of history. True virtue should be anchored in love. But what you're also talking about is how did those virtues manifest themselves in our modern day? in today's Absolutely. day, which should always be the question, regardless of what time it is, whether the past, the future that is to come, that should always mm -hmm. be the question. Mm -hmm. How do we actually live out these virtues within this context mm -hmm. and in my life, That's not, right. you know, in somebody else's, but in the time and space that I have and in the influence that I have in the sphere that I'm put in, that should always be the question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I, I think something that I, I touched on recently in another interview was I think the conversation needs to also feature like meekness. I think when I think about masculinity. Yes. And so there's a lot of push out there for men to be as strong as possible, to build their wealth, to build their resources, to build their status, their position in society. Great if you're, if you're able to do that ethically, not at the expense and harm of others. If you're able to do that through service, through sacrifice, through actually bringing people along with you for the journey, which is what I think a leader does. It's not just about a zero-sum game of you succeeding. But even say if you do succeed and you do it well and you do it ethically and you do it with considering others, uh, what do you do with that status? What do you do with that power? What do you do with that wealth? And 
in a sense, for me, that's that's where meekness has to feature. We have to ask ourselves. Meekness isn't being weak. It's actually recognizing the privileges, the strengths, the resources you have and laying it down to serve others, to seek the good of other people, to create space for other people. And so I think that's where, again, the toxic influences are really disconnected from virtue because I'm like, yeah, I tell boys, like, go and succeed in your music, in your art, in your yeah. athletics, in your academic pursuits. Be the best son, brother, friend you can be. Go and start a business. Go and volunteer. Start a not-for-profit. Like, gosh, there are so many gifts and talents the world is desperate for you to give mm. expression to. Please, like, switch off the games. Get off pornography. You know, switch off social media and, and show up in the world with all your talents and gifts, please. But then if you do succeed, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to do that for the benefit of others? And I think that's where, mm. yeah, the conversation has to come back to service. It has to come back for care and sacrifice. Uh, and then again, that's, that's a message that's missing from a lot of these toxic influences out there is what does 100%. sacrifice look like? And again, you know, we talk about this when it comes to military sacrifice or someone sacrificed for the team. Maybe they've taken on a, on a, on a defensive role in an AFL side. So they're not getting heaps of, you know, statistics and accolades, but they're doing it for the sake of the team, which is great. But then what does it look like to sacrifice for your relationships or the world around you or a community? Mm. And do you find when you're talking to the men then that they intuitively know the answer or are you finding that you're having to sort of brainstorm with them for them to be able to see it with clarity or is there a bit of a mix in between? A mix, but I would say that whenever I open up these questions, I'm (laughs) – I'm always overwhelmed with the answers. State schools, yeah. private schools, co-ed schools, single sex. Like they're there. They get it. Yeah. They can tell yeah. me all the things that are unhealthy stereotypes. They can tell me all the healthy stereotypes or what a healthy relationship would look like. Or when I ask them to critically assess the sexualized media representations that I present to them, which aren't graphic because these are from mainstream shopping centers. These are from mainstream advertisements. They can tell me these are women depicted as slaves, as animals, as sex objects, as pieces of meat, as this, like they they can do that analysis. I'm talking 13, 14, 15, 16 year old boys Mm. without, Without question, everywhere I go, irrespective of the school. So they they get it intellectually, but we all know that you can understand something intellectually, yeah. but that doesn't mean that that translates to you embracing and embodying that and living, living it out. And especially if yeah. the cultural and social context that you have to make your decisions and your ethics in makes it even harder for you to choose the right thing, then that's a, that I, th- I genuinely think that like these young men need more character, more courage, more virtue because of these challenges, because of how hard we've made it to just be basically decent. A decent human being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess then in trying to sort of wrap around this conversation that we're having, where do you see the role of you know, people like community, where do you see the role of people who are surrounding men, just people in general? Um, you know, cause I'm, I'm sort of picturing parents who might be listening to this podcast mm-hmm. or watching this podcast and feeling overwhelmed. Like that, that's my son totally. that they're talking about. What, what do I do in this space? Or, you know, a sister who might be thinking, I think that's my little brother. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on here. Or a friend who's going, yeah, you know what? I, I know several friends who are stuck within this pornographic culture and I know they're influenced by it because they've told me or I, I've seen mm-hmm. things, you know, what, 
what do we do in this space? How can, how can men support each other, but mm-hmm. also how do parents and women support men in this space too? It's, it's a great question. You may need to prompt me if I forget some of those elements to it. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel for parents. I just want to start with the fact that yeah. I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to come here and parents explain and make out like I have all the answers on all of this. Again, it's hard for young people. It's hard for parents. Parenting in this yeah. age of social media, competing voices, we don't have the same social and community fabric that we once did. Like we say it takes a village mm-hmm. to raise a child, but like where's the village? We live Wait, very 100%. fragmented, individualized, <laughs> consumer-based lives. And so I feel for parents, I feel for single mums who are trying to raise yeah. their boys. I was raised by a single mum. You know, like how how do they find the support and the touch points? And I've read different research that boys need like 32 different male touch points to get them through their adolescence, you know? Of positive, of positive examples. And that doesn't mean day in, day Ooh. out, but, you know, I'll have to yeah. find the research on it. But irrespective, we, we acknowledge wow. that. It's not just even, even if you've got a great dad, and I know lots of great dads doing their absolute utmost to raise their boys, even if in that scenario, because people say, oh, it's fatherlessness. Well, yeah, that's an element, but it's beyond just even good dads. Mm-hmm. The culture is so difficult. They need good older brothers, good uncles, good fathers, good footy coaches, good drama coaches, good debating coaches, good teachers. You know, like we need these touch points. And then what do you do about the social Uh, social media and popular culture representations you know because it's not just what's happening in their immediate world it's what they're consuming through music through tv through pornography and that's a that's a huge thing to compete against and so parents i know lots of wonderful intentional parents who are saying we're doing our utmost to raise our kids well but finding it increasingly difficult because the village has failed and culture has failed you know, there's not enough positive examples. And, and it's not even just an absence of the positive. It's actually the fact that they're being fueled and encouraged to do things that are detrimental to their own integrity, but uh, to the well-being of others as well. And so mm. what can we do? Well, we have to model it uh, if we're not doing that as, a, as an alternative. And that doesn't mean getting it perfect. It actually means acknowledging, especially as men, I haven't lived virtuously. I haven't done the right thing. I haven't stood up for my mates when I should have. Do you know what? I've treated women poorly, I've been disrespectful or I've watched other men disrespect women and I haven't stood up and like I need to own that, you know, like I've turned a blind eye to some stuff when I could have said something. And so I think, you know, like there's a there's a start with humility, start with acknowledging that we've all yeah. contributed to what I call porn culture and this, you know, unhealthy stereotypes that are now being reinforced, that we've all participated in it, we've all either allowed it or not challenged it. And it's impacted us. And I think a good process for everyone is to kind of unpack, well, how has it impacted me? Can we make that conscience? Can we be aware of like, how has porn culture, how has this sexualized culture impacted us? How has it impacted us personally and relationally? Because kids want authenticity and it may not look like mum and dad talking to their kids directly about this stuff, but I would encourage it. Uh, and certainly to, to create a space where all questions are okay, because if your kids are talking to you, like that's a great outcome, you know, that's an incredible thing. And not to shame them, not to tell them that they're wrong if they are watching toxic influences or pornography. They're being groomed by algorithms, billion dollar industries that know mm. your kids better than mm. they know themselves, you know, and they haven't developed the capacity yeah. to think through this just yet. So if they're coming and to they have you, an agenda. welcome that. Totally. 
totally welcome mm. that. Thank them for it. Keep the conversations going. It's not about trying to challenge or correct everything in one conversation. It's just having that constant dialogue. So I would encourage that as well to just not think that this is a one-off conversation. It's an ongoing one and it doesn't need to be perfect the first time. And I think always start with humility, always start with an acknowledgement of like, well, these were my poor um male influences these were the poor role models that i had these are how they impacted me this is these are the elements of a healthy manhood or just being a healthy human that i needed to grow in like there's a conversation mm. to have and so yeah that's what i try to do with the boys i don't come in talking to them like i'm some angel in a cloud immune to all of this i say to them like, i'm still navigating porn culture i'm still having to unlearn things that i've learned through porn exposure through what the world around me is teaching me and try and fight for healthy relationships with myself with my same-sex peers and and with women and, and girls in in the world and so, yeah, I think that's a, a huge part of it. In terms of what women and girls can do, like all of us, like raise our standards. I think, and I feel for mm. girls because so many women my age are telling me, you know, they feel they have to compromise. And the, the thing is, is like if they don't and if they collectively don't and therefore men have to actually up their game, be more virtuous to win the affections of a woman or her friendship or whatever it may be, that's a benefit yeah. to everybody. So the more that we all raise mm. our standards on, on what we're happy to accept in terms of friendship and certainly a romantic relationship, that's huge. And so that's what I champion mm -hmm. for the young girls and I champion it for the young boys to be that, to want that, to want healthy relationships. And so we all owe that to one another to get healthy ourselves and then to aspire to healthy relationships. And so I think that's the main thing that women and girls can do. It's not up to women and girls to save boys. I think it's just to encourage them to to, to aspire to healthier role models and for, for women and girls to just be healthy themselves and say, I'm not going to tolerate with certain things and to walk away from it. Yeah, hundred percent. As you were speaking, I was like, give that man a microphone and blast that because that is so on point. So on point. It's not, it, it's not our space as women to be able to jump in and go, let me fix it. Let me, you know, that that's not our space, but we do have something to be able to offer. And that raising of standards is exactly it. One person is just one drop. Yes. Okay. How much influence can that make? But one drop starts the ripple. And so, help your girlfriends, help your friends to do that. Don't throw them under the you know like there's there's yeah. that sort of stuff like if a, if a, you know if a girl's like nah i'm not going to keep dating this guy he's being disrespectful he's not respecting my boundaries then you know <laughs> support her in that yeah, you know? and, yeah. and yeah for, for men i think you know there's huge part to play in terms of how they model how they treat women helping boys to respect women and girls to listen to them to integrate their experiences into their understanding of of our shared humanity and so I try to get boys to, to listen to the experiences of women. I don't force mm. that. I just invite them. It's an invitation mm. to, to, to listen to the stories of women, to, to humanize them. If you want to listen to women. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think what you're saying there is so key to that invitation because that's all we can ever do. We can't mm -hmm. actually force someone to respect another person. We can only ever invite them to choose to respect so I think that's mm -hmm. such, such powerful right. words that you've used there. Really, really powerful. Daniel, thank you so much for being on the podcast here with us today and for being able to share your gifts, talents and knowledge and learned experiences with us as well. We're really grateful for it. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's great. I enjoy this a lot. And yeah, still, still learning, still thinking about it. You know, even now I'm sitting here reflecting on 
yeah, how to continue to improve how I engage with boys and what, what could be beneficial and integrate what they tell me. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing process, always learning, always needing to be, to be, yeah, uh, shown that there's other things that I haven't yet seen stories. I haven't yet heard perspectives. I don't yet know. And thank you guys for joining us this week on Living Fullness, whether you've been listening in at home or you've been watching on YouTube. We're so grateful that you tune in every week and every month for our guest interviews. Make sure if you haven't already, jump over to Patreon and become a Patreon member because we're about to continue a conversation with Daniel today. Now I've got a question around desensitization and around resilience for Daniel as well. So jump over to that. But as always, we will catch you again next week. And until then, know about love and prayers.